0: The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, Corrections, and Bear Markets. And now, on to our Lead Lag Live discussion, hosted by Michael Guyad.
1: My name is Michael Guyad, publisher of the Lead Lag Report. Joining me for the hour, special guest, Tracy Shukart, we're going to be talking about oil metals black swans and anything else that, that kind of comes naturally here. Tracy for those who are not familiar with uh, who you are and your background just set the stage for the audience as far as what you've done and how did you get so uh, interested in in the oil markets in particular?
2: Yeah, so I actually started at the Chicago Board of Trade and I started uh, I started at a boiler room to be honest and kind of worked my way up selling options on futures. I moved to the floor on uh, on the- CBOT, because I had met some people. And one thing led to another led to another that led me to I managed an energy and materials portfolio for a family office. And then I also am the global energy and materials strategist at Intelligence Quarterly.
1: So you and I both have a a little bit of a background dealing with a family office. So I had a, a short stint doing kind of a prop trading portfolio for a family office. They had about two billion dollars in assets, and I'm sure your experience is not that dissimilar from mine. Managing money for one client is very different than managing money and putting research out for many. That's one of the reasons yes. that I, I, personally <laughs> I. I'm just curious. What What was your experience with with that? Because that's a side of of these conversations that I never really kind of uh, touch on. But what was your experience dealing with with the family office you were at? So well, I,
2: I'm still with them and so you know i mean i'm very lucky they give me a lot of discretion to kind of do what i want but it is much more it is very different working when you're you know kind of managing money for one person in particular some may say it's better because you don't have a million clients calling you a day but but yeah i mean it's you know so far so good
1: yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's just an interesting dynamic, right? But that's not before you'll you'll probably recognize um, some of the challenges there. Okay, so I'm gonna start off with what may sound like a basic question, but I think it has a lot of sort of complexities to it as far as the answer. Who is to ultimately blame more for higher oil prices and higher commodity prices? You've got a lot of people that, that will argue it's because of Russia-Ukraine. You've got a lot of people that argue it's because of poor government policies. You have a lot of people argue it's because of the Fed. Outline for the audience. Why is it that we have this current dynamic and who is most uh, to blame for that?
2: I don't think that it's necessarily one person or one thing to blame. I think it's a series of events that happened. And really, we could go back like six, seven years ago when CapEx really started to decline in both metals and the energy sector. You know, well, they they kind of got washed out right there. I mean, there were a lot of problems. We had two oil crashes, basically we couldn't find investors. We had to look, you know, there was no CapEx involved. Mining sector suffered something very similar. So we kind of started back then. Now, as you move forward and you could say, you know, back then as well, you know, when, when I would say the poor energy policy kind of comes into play at that point right because when we started having you know 2016 with the paris accord you know energy transition we started to see a progressive policy change in europe in particular where um, they weren't addressing the current current energy needs and were trying to jump into renewables too quickly when the technology just wasn't caught up and you know and we're now kind of seeing that you U.S. is now kind of following in Europe's footsteps right now, which is, you know, leading to current problems here. So, you know, lastly, I would say, you know, Russia, Ukraine is very new, very fresh. So, you know, I think that's probably, you know, the lowest on the list at this point, uh, if you're going to blame something. I mean, like I said, you know, I think this really started years ago.
1: Let's talk about renewables for a moment, because I've had A lot of different thought leaders in the energy space, Dr. Anas uh, Al Haji, I've had Alex Epstein, uh, who has a bit of a controversial view on fossil fuels, but I think has a a rationale in the way that he's thinking about uh, the idea that we need to effectively double down on fossil fuels. It seems to me that the hope is that we have diversification of energy sources, but people are underestimating how long that will take, to your point, for the technology, for the efficiency to get anywhere really near what we. Uh, get with petrofuels. Is it your view that the focus on alternative energy needs to continue, but perhaps slow down, or is it one of those things where maybe we wouldn't be in this crisis if actually there was even more money and more focus on alternative energy?
2: Well, I you know I think that what needs this all should have been happening in parallel instead of trying to just drop fossil fuels and jump in right into renewable, right? Because the technology just hasn't been there. So I think it can be done in parallel. But again, technology is just not there. What we're doing right now is we're trying to double down on intermittent power sources, such as wind and solar, when we know that you can't really have those as your base load. And then, you know, we could turn to nuclear. And, you know, look at a country like Germany, who's closing the nuclear plants, right, which is clean energy, but they don't like it because they don't like, you know, the environmentalists and the nuclear wastewater. But that said, I mean, that technology has been advancing as well. It's just that c- countries seem to not be pursuing those interests as hard because, well, it, Western countries, I should say. You know, if we look at the newer projects coming up, they're mostly in, you know, Pac-Asia. India, some in Africa, but so, you know we're really not seeing that kind of growth in the West. It's, you know, after Chernobyl, after Fukushima, everybody got scared of nuclear and everybody started shutting down, you know, their nuclear plants. I mean, even if you look at California, which has some of the most aggressive climate change policies in the world, in 2018, our they voted to shut down their last the nuclear power plant. Diablo Canyon in 2025. And so you know, look at look at the problems that they're having right now. So again, you know, I think that it could be done in parallel, but I think we need to look at other resources other than solar and wind, which I think people are concentrating too heavily on right now. Yeah, I mean, certainly in the rain meantime, rain. no, go
1: ahead, go, please.
2: No, yeah, I mean, in the meantime, you know, and I've been saying this for years: natural gas is it's clean. <laughs> it is clean energy burning the only reason you smell natural gas is because they add that rotten egg smell to it so you can smell leaks otherwise you wouldn't be able to smell it it's very clean burning it should have been used as a transition fuel this was cheap <laughs> and, and abundant I think that you know people should have been pursuing that years ago more aggressively
1: let's focus on the word abundant for a moment I had a, a space a few days ago with Sal Mercogliano And his whole uh, thing is looking at ports and sort of the logistics in terms of moving things around. Right. And his argument is that this sort of supply chain narrative is not really fully accurate because there's plenty of supply of most things. There's just not enough infrastructure to move it around. How do you how do you think about that aspect of the commodity space uh, in terms of the narrative, right? Because if ports can't bring in enough containers because literally there's just no physical size ability to do so, and you can't transport LNG and all these other things because of these limitations on the ground, is is that more of what's causing the price movement? Talk, Talk about that interaction a little bit.
2: I mean, I think I would have to push back on that a little. I mean, we're we're in if you you know look at the oil markets, we are in a structural supply deficit. Metals we're also seeing is supply deficits, especially as we're moving into all of these renewables, solar, winds, electric vehicles, charging stations, et cetera. So we are seeing structural supply deficits across many of the commodity space. Yeah, you know, and, and we're starting to see problems in the agriculture cultural space as well. You know, we do have logistics problems and we do have lack of infrastructure, right? So you're looking at, say, Germany right now. They want to cut off Russian gas, but they can't. So they need to build out LNG storage facilities. And they could have been doing this years ago. So I think it's partly we we don't have infrastructure built out correctly, part supply chain issues, but we definitely have structural deficits in actual supply.
1: OK, so now so okay, so it's a, as, as is the case with most things, right, there's 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 the, the truth is always somewhere in between. Right. As far as a lot of these types of dynamics, the you have one camp that is of that mindset. It's more about supply slash infrastructure distribution. You have another camp that basically argues alongside the lines of the Fed that price is high, not just because of supply, but maybe more so because of demand post COVID and reopening and all this in your work, what would you say is more of a contributor to price movement in commodities overall? Is it more supply side or is it more demand side?
2: I think it's, it's more supply side, right? I mean, I think at this point, I mean, obviously COVID threw a ringer and the whole supply chain overall. Right. And so that's going to take years to unravel. And now we have, you know, China back on, uh, massive lockdowns which is further exacerbating the supply chain issues so certainly that is a problem the fed you know the fed the problem is when you have real supply and demand issues you the fed can't fix that with raising rates so i don't think that it's necessarily a, a product of monetary policy
1: okay so i put the term um, black swans in the space purposely because i made this point many times before that this is a very really remarkable environment in that you can argue you've got multiple black swans appearing all at the same time. You have this incredible spike in yields, obviously driven by the spike in inflation. You've got currency uh, collapses, particularly with the yen. You've got a lot of sort of tails from different asset classes that are suddenly wagging in this environment. Talk about how you think about tail risk when it comes to the commodity space and maybe which commodities are more more apt to that. And and where where I'm really going with that is that I think it's you can you can unequivocally argue that it's more likely that oil prices spike than crash. Just like it's more likely for stocks to crash than spikes.
2: Right? You know, I think that's happening. I mean, think of, I think what you really need to watch, which or let's say what I'm really watching, is the manufacturing sector in in Europe because I think that could be a huge problem, and a huge problem for commodities. You know, if they go so with an aggressive policy with trying to cut off Russian gas and oil, they're going to have a severe energy crisis, and they're going to have to cut manufacturing. You know, And we've already kind of seen that on and off. We've seen smelters having to shut down for a while because gas prices were too high. And so if, we, if the Russia gas oil situation in Europe becomes a bigger problem, then I think we're going to see a huge problem in manufacturing, again, in Europe, in particular Germany. I, guess oh, good I think thing that's, end- that could be kind of a black swan to look for because obviously that would mean that demand um, is highly curtailed, especially, you know, they have a lot of, you know, automobile manufacturing, things like that. And so you'd be looking at problems for, you know, problems in, of demand for metals. We'll be back after a quick break.
1: Hello, listeners. Michael Guyad here from Lead Lag Live. Are you ready to take a deep dive into market trends, risk management and investment strategies? then you need the Lead Lag Report. Our in-depth analysis helps you understand the financial markets like never before. And guess what? We're giving you a chance to experience it at a discounted rate. Visit theleadlag.report/leadlaglive and get an exclusive 30% off on your subscription. Don't miss out. Level up your investment game with the Lead Lag Report. And now, back to our discussion. But but Europe, right? I mean, it's, it's, I, would, I would argue it's unlikely that Europe suddenly has some kind of growth resurgence, at least now, right? I mean, you can even argue that parts of Europe may already be in a oh, recession, absolutely. right?
2: Oh, I think they probably are. I think they are in a recession. I think they have been in a recession, at least in, you know, several sectors. I'm just saying that could be if I mean, if we're talking about black swans, what could happen? No. I think that things could get a whole lot worse for Europe.
1: So let, let's get a little granular on some of the commodities that you focus on. You're, I think, more mostly known in the fintwit community space from the standpoint of looking at the oil and energy markets. What other commodities are you tracking? I know we're going to talk about gold and miners, but beyond oil, gold miners. What else is something that you're you're paying attention to here?
2: I'm. I mean, really. am energy my focus is all energy and materials. So, you know, my three things that I've my main three investment pieces for the last couple of years have been obviously energy, metals and agriculture. Because again, you know, as we're seeing now, you know, everything's related to energy, right? You need energy to, you know, grow crops. You need energy to mine metals. You need energy so it all comes down to energy. And if you have a problem in energy and you have spiking energy prices, that's therefore going to affect every other commodity space just about.
1: Okay. So that's actually a good transition to talking about the gold miners uh, in particular here. So I've done a lot of different experiments, back tests that would try to see if there's some way to create a, a strategy based on the price movement of gold as a way of generating alpha trading around the gold miner stocks. And I have to tell you, I've tried all kinds of things, and nothing seems to work. And I say that because there is this narrative that's been out there for a long time that gold miners are a levered play on gold. A lot of the studies that I've done on this say that that's not the case, really, because it's really more about oil prices. To your point, and energy is is the is the biggest thing, and everything's related to to energy prices. How do you think right. about investing in miners in a? and in gold miners, that's really what I'm talking about in particular. How do you think about investing in gold miners when you have this unknown exogenous shock potential in oil prices? Because as much as people may be bullish on gold miners, if they're also bullish on oil, it may actually mean that they shouldn't be bullish on gold miners, if you follow my my train of thinking there.
2: Yeah, no, I totally understand. I was, you know, I I was listening to uh, Tavi yesterday, right? And I, you know, the thing, and I totally agree with him. The thing with the gold market in general, so just talking about gold prices, is you know the paper market is a completely different beast than the physical market. Right? Hold so on. Let, let, let's, define, the let's define
1: that for the audience. When you say paper market, what does that mean? Paper market.
2: So the paper markets is you know what you're trading is you know gold features or you know an ETF that is not backed by. By actual gold, so that's you're tra- you're trading IOUs. It means nothing, you know. And so, and then the physical market is obviously, if I want to, you know, call up my local gold dealer and I want to buy more, however many ounces of gold, right? So what you're seeing is a very strong physical market, right? I mean, gold dealers are out of gold, prices are rising, you know, they're well above what. Um, you know, spot market is and what the futures prices are. So you, so if you want to play gold, right, I think a better position will be in. I mean, if you look at gold, it hasn't really gone anywhere. If you're looking at you know the futures market, for instance. So if you want to be in the gold space, I think miners are probably a better space to be. But again, they've gone sideways too. So, you know, I think eventually it'll break out.
1: And there is a benefit to to gold miners and gold in that both also are largely not really that like correlated to to traditional beta, right? So from the diversification right. standpoint perspective, right? If you're looking at just from a correlation perspective, I can make a case that everybody should have some allocation there, whether they believe in right. it or not. Just from a construction standpoint, but that brings with it a question around conviction and weightings, right? And and looping that into into narratives, right? A lot of my my rants right. on. Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is not less about the technology, more about the narratives which cause people to overallocate to the space. And you'll remember this, you know, as well as I do. When I used to write for Marker Watch many years ago, whenever I would put up an article out that would mention anything about gold, the gold bugs were as aggressive as the as the Bitcoin maxis, right? Back then, yes. maybe a decade ago, <laughs> right? And, and and we should always tell me, I think, from a sentiment perspective, but but I want you to talk through to the audience how how do you think they should frame gold Um, And gold miners in a portfolio, I'm using them separately in terms of not just the narrative, but how much to to weight conviction in that narrative, especially in this kind of environment where nothing
2: seems to be working. Yeah, well, you know, I don't want to, you know, I am. I'm not your portfolio manager so I don't want to be, you know I, I think it not really financial depends advice,
1: on not financial
2: advice no. Not financial advice No you know I think it really depends on for first your risk tolerance and and your age right and so if you're 30 your portfolio is going to look very different than if you're 65 right so I think that you know I think you know I like to have gold in uh my portfolio gold in uh the family office portfolio but you know i think that like i don't want to give financial advice and say how much you should have allocated because i think that's like i said it really depends on your risk tolerance and you know kind of your age range
1: yeah and of course the ability to stick to it right i mean that's that's always something that's never really kind of thought about i mean
2: you know i kind of always say like i kind of i always say like you know have something in your portfolio and like forget about it like don't even look at it, right, because <laughs> it, it'll get frustrating. So it's just it's kind of one of those things that, you know, I like to keep in my portfolio, but I don't obsess over it.
1: Yeah, that that, that makes complete sense. OK, so so we'll, we'll hit back on gold, silver and and other other metals talk a bit. OK, so Jim Bianco had put out a, a great tweet a while ago, and I've seen a lot of other studies around this that, you know, historically, most recessions are preceded by a spike in oil prices. Not, But not every single oil price, of course, leads to recession, right? It's kind of like uh, A is B, but sure. B is not necessarily A. Let, let's talk about the interaction with the economy here because on the one hand, inflation breakevens tend to be highly correlated to oil price movement. But that movement is nuanced because it depends on if it's a gradual move higher versus a spike, right? I, I've always right. argued that spiking inflationary pressures are much more disinflationary because there's not enough time for individuals and companies to respond to those higher input prices. Whereas if it's gradual, that's more of a sort of secular inflationary story. How how do you think about the oil price movement here, how it interacts with the economy? And if you think it might mean uh, what it historically has mean, meant that conditions favor some kind of a recession?
2: You know, I mean, I think that, you know, I think overall we already are already are seeing, you know, growth slowing a little bit. The thing that's kind of different right now is, you know, with with oil prices that, again, we're, we're having a real supply issue and we really haven't seen major demand disruption yet. So we're still not at prices where it's really affecting the market that much.
1: Yeah. And it's hard to, it's it's funny, I keep, I keep uh, cursing whenever I see things about Gavin Newsom trying to do some kind of relief around gas prices. You don't have demand destruction now because the government's trying to find ways of, of propping that demand, right? With- well, right.
2: And then the more stimulus you have, the more it spurs demand, the more that spurs on that problem, right? Which is what these people don't see. You know, we saw like months ago, particularly in Europe, you know, there are you know, they're even now talking about screens, talking about gas caps. And every time, you know, you do that, you're actually exacerbating the problem. Right. Because you're you're either keeping demand where it is or you're increasing demand. Right. When you have a a supply deficit. And that's, again, just exacerbating the problem.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's funny, right, because then the argument is that part of the the reason for oil oil prices are staying sticky on the upside is that is that there's incompetent thinking by. By political leaders, if the answer to inflation is more money, you know, then of course it's going to stay elevated. It's it's nonsensical, but unfortunately, most voters don't really make that connection. And I'm sure that's also Uh, not just in the U.S., but also I would assume Canada and other other countries.
2: Yeah, I mean, everybody's answer to the problem is to throw more money at it, right? Which is exactly what you don't want to be doing in, in, in an inflationary environment. You know, I mean, you know, I think that, you know, something like fusion could, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> right. I know, I know a lot of people are, you know, Bill Gates and Bezos are all pouring a lot of money into that, but everybody has for years. So, you know, that's something. But, you know, other than that, which again, let me restate that I, I think the likelihood of that happening is very, very low. But, you know, looking at all technologies that we have right now, I don't really see. Any other viable options except for you know, except for you know, nuclear, which again is not being, you know, is being kind of shunned by the West. So, well,
1: and and also not overnight, right? I mean, that's the other part of that too.
2: We'll be back after a quick break. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, if we want to start building nuclear reactors again, that's going to take, you know, a long time, but you know, that's you're going to have to go through government bureaucratic red tape for 15 years before that happens, right? <laughs> so no, I mean, I just don't really see a viable option really right now with the current technologies that are that are being explored. Uh, Yes, uh, I absolutely think this time is different, and this time we we are facing a very big structural supply deficit again because this has been a growing problem for a number of years. This isn't just something that happened with COVID. COVID just exacerbated the problem with supply chains and whatnot. But you know, again, you know, and I talked about this a little bit at the beginning. We're looking at you know lack of capex in you know the mining industry. In oil and gas for seven years now. So this has been an ongoing, growing problem.
1: By the way, oil, and I will say, as long as they don't, you mentioned lettuce powered uh, energy, as long as they don't use lentils, I'm cool with all that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm still incredibly bullish copper. I think that with China shutdowns right now, Right, that is putting a drag on base metals in general, um, not just copper. But if you kind of look at copper, I mean, really, we, again, another market that's been sideways, we've been between four and five dollars for the last, you know, over over a year now. So I think that, and I think there's obviously uncertainty in, you know, the manufacturing industry, again, in Europe. But, you know, I think as soon as China opens up again, and they're going to have to soon because, you know, the, the The Congress Party is this fall, so you can't have the the whole country locked down for that. So I do think we'll start seeing it open up, you know, June, July, which is right into high demand season. So, you know, I I think that we are likely, if they open up, which I think they will, I think that that we'll likely see a spike in metals and oils prices this summer because we're going to have a lot of demand coming back into the market rather quickly. What's
1: what's maybe a more levered way of playing oil, meaning if you if you think about what's going on on the agriculture space in terms of Russia, Ukraine, demand, supply dynamics, and the fact that presumably uh, soft commodity producers can pass on higher oil prices through the their own prices of crops. It, it seems to me like there's an argument to be made that if you're bullish on oil, maybe you should be even more built bullish on on staples, commodities, uh, you know. Uh, food crops Uh, talk about that that if that makes sense and and what what maybe a way to play that
2: yeah yeah absolutely i mean again it comes down to it's everything's boils down to energy so if you have higher energy uh, inputs then that's going to raise the cost of everything including crops right and so you know that's going that and with the ongoing uh, geopolitical problems with ukraine and Russia with wheat. And we're also seeing, you know, some countries now kind of enact some protectionist policies where they're limiting exports of crops and things like that. So I think, you know, again, a bunch of things are going to contribute to, you know, higher agricultural prices for the foreseeable future.
1: Let's talk about default risk for a moment, because there are plenty of companies, plenty of industries that really don't have pricing power So as oil prices increase, it eats away at their margins. And meanwhile, whatever debts they have remain the same. And now, by the way, as yields have risen, right, the the rolling over of whatever debt they have is going to become more expensive whenever that rollover occurs. At what point in this commodity cycle, in this oil bull market, does the narrative change from inflation risk to default risk?
2: So I think you need not yet. I think you would need to see sustainable high oil prices until something breaks, literally. It's <laughs> horrible is that sound. You know, I think we're, you know, right around say $100, $105 a barrel isn't gonna do it. Right. You you would need to see material materially higher oil prices and sustained for a while, I think, before we really start seeing, you know, things start to break.
1: And so that would be what, like, like a doubling with, you know, for six months? Like, well, I'm not going to hold you to it, but I'm just curious. Like, what would be? be?
2: (laughs) You know, I think if we saw like $150 and not as a spike, but for, you know, for a sustained amount of time, four to six months, we would have a series. We'd start seeing things break.
1: Yeah. No, I think that that intuitively uh, makes sense.
2: Well, you know, I think that, you know, I I think we could see, obviously we're seeing the economy slow down right now, but as far as, you know, but. Yet again, you know, and the big industries that involve, say, the oil industry, you know, if you look, if you heard, you know, if you listen to earnings calls, right, for like the hospitality industry, hotels, airlines, I mean, they're all seeing, you know, hotels are saying that their their bookings are what they were, you know, pre-COVID, right, 2019 already, right? And we haven't even hit summer high demand season yet airlines are increasing you know we're seeing major jet fuel problem right now because demand is coming back much faster than anybody anticipated jet fuel is you know a laggard in the industry for certain so there so far the indications are we're seeing you know slowdowns in some areas but the areas that demand is increasing is making up for any slowdown anywhere else that makes sense yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, US net gas prices have been, you know, obviously divorced from have always been lower than than European natural gas levels. You know, I think that, you know, I don't think if you're asking like, do you think that we're going to see net gas levels price wise in the US, like, you know, Europe or, or Japan? No, you know, I think it more, what's more likely to happen is, you know, their, their gas prices will come down.
1: Yeah, and Wal, and, while, and while, real, real quick, because I think it's a good good direction for Tracy too. Because and Tavi mentioned this yesterday, Tracy that to Wallace's point, it, what people also are not really appreciating is that there's a real labor skills gap because so many people went to the Amazons, went to coding. By the way, just like how a lot of people when I graduated were going into investment banking just before the Great Financial Crisis, right, and still struggling, right. So maybe maybe Tracy riff on that and and. And also, if that's sort of a uh, more than just a U.S.-based phenomenon. I'm not trying to cut you off while I just want, I just want to direct as a question to, to Tracy here.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we're hearing that pretty much everywhere, you know, as well as there's supply chain issues, right? Just like there is with every other industry trying to source parts. Parts are expensive. There's labor problems. And so it's not just as easy as, you know, turning on a well. It's just, you know, like I always complain, the administration is like, just pump more. It's It doesn't work that way right you don't just flip a switch and suddenly you have oil flowing right so it that takes time and there's uh, you know there's a lot of problems right now outside of you know outside of just you know companies wanting to you know entice investors right now with you know dividends buybacks free cash flow and uh capital preservation so that is also another huge problem is everything that
1: and, and i'm curious you mentioned the thousand dollars debt. i mean how, 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 uh, do, do, is there a feeling that needs to be increased? I mean, how's the, how's been the response by the labor side as, as the carrot has gotten larger?
2: I've actually heard similar stories in, in Alberta that, you know, that, that the younger generation is just shunning that industry. And so they, they, they're having a hard time recruiting, you know, the younger people.
1: By the way, I will say that's an interesting, it's an interesting, um, thing I hadn't, thought of this idea that there's maybe a a labor skills gap because if you believe which i think there's some evidence of that especially in the u.s a lot of universities lean more more left right that the focus becomes more on tilting towards degrees that are not going to be in oil and gas because it's perceived as you know correctly so i'm not disagreeing with the narrative there but correctly so that it's you know it's bad for the environment and we want to focus on alternatives, but that creates sort of a timing mismatch in terms of the labor that's coming out to have the skills to actually do that to manage the transition. Does that make sense, Tracy? It's just an interesting kind yeah, absolutely. of absolutely thinking about
2: it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's exactly what's happening.
1: Okay, so let me let me transition this a little bit into into my world from an intermarket perspective, talking about different asset classes and how they how they interact with each other. So it, it, again, it's well known that. Break even's inflation expectations correlate pretty closely to oil prices because it's sort of the the market's best way of seeing real time what inflation is likely to be because of cost push inflation but there's has this really um interesting dynamic and maybe it's just a one week phenomenon maybe not but even though oil prices are remaining elevated even with inflation being right? as elevated as it is right? right right you know exactly where we're going with that so so let's talk yes. about this because- yeah, let, let's go with it because I, I keep going back to this point that inflationary shocks are inherently disinflationary or deflationary, and and it could be that the long end of the treasury curve is now starting to finally respond to that, and that's what risk off really is meant to look like. But but talk through that because you know markets are funny; it's never exactly how you think it's going to play out.
2: Right. I mean, you know, I don't know if that is sort of again, it, you know, it hasn't been that, that long that we're seeing that disconnect, but you know, I don't know if it's that you know. Markets are just freaking out because, you know, the Fed raised rates and they may they raise rates again. And so they automatically think that's, you know, disinflationary. And so they're taking that risk off the table. You know what I mean? So I don't know if it's just market participants' per- perception of what they think is going to happen rather than reacting to what is happening.
1: Yeah, no, it's just interesting. Yeah, no, it's interesting dynamic. But but I will say though that that will be consistent. With the again the idea that recessions tend to be be preceded by oil, oil spikes because if now yields start dropping, that would actually right. more, that you're on the verge, if not already in a recession. It's just interesting from a signaling perspective. Okay, so so I'll give you a, a question I asked Toby, which I think is um, to me I think makes a lot of sense, but I want to hear your thoughts on this. So four years prior to this, Wall Street said commodities are not a real asset class. It shouldn't necessarily des- deserve a place in a portfolio. Now, cynically, as somebody who is in Wall Street like you, they said that because commodities haven't worked for a decade, right? It's right. Like, right. Now that there's momentum, oh, now it's it's a great asset class to be in. Okay. So now, what's interesting here, I think, is that the the availability of options to play oil, to play gold, to play any commodity you can think of uh, is is unbelievable, right? You can you can find any ETF that tracks pretty much anything.
2: Oh. Oh, yeah,
1: I, right. I wonder if you think that in some ways that actually may be somewhat dangerous. and what i'm where I'm going with that is that if indeed supplies are tight across the board, then price is set by the marginal demand. Well, if the marginal demand is retail and institutions, institutions now viewing commodities as an asset class, retail chasing momentum, If that's the case, then it seems to me that you you could have you know investors pushing the price of these commodities higher. Rather than uh, anything else, and that becomes maybe potentially a destabilizing uh, force on society. To talk through that link, because I, I I don't know if people really understand how their own actions in chasing momentum may actually have the exact opposite effect of what they want, which is higher prices in terms of what they're actually paying at the grocery at the gas pump.
2: Right, and and you know, and we have seen that before, right? There's been plenty of uh, examples in history where we've seen commodity prices pushed up, you know, just on Momo chasing, you know, on Momo chasing, and then you know that usually ends up in a, like an elevator down really fast, right? And it just, you know, I mean, we've seen that in the Palladium market several times. We've seen that in lumber happen, it happens a lot, especially those thinner markets. But yeah, obviously that can happen again, though, you know. It, I think that we are, you know, and I hate to say commodity super cycle because I kind of hate that term, but we're kind of in a commodity super cycle right now. You know, because I think everything has come together. It's just a perfect storm right now for for commodities. And so I don't think and, and I still don't see a lot of people in the space pushing that price up at this at this juncture right i don't think any you know i i don't think it's the evil speculators pushing up the oil market you know if you look at the supply side part of of the equation right but oh,
1: let's so, but let's go, let, but let's go that, on that super cycle thing for a second right. i think i think it's interesting the super cycle point because th- there's there's clearly an argument made that there has to be a super cycle coming because infrastructure is horrendous globally right but just you haven't right. had the political will to resolve that so, so talk through that dynamic because i think that's that's sort of a longer term oh. thing that no matter what has to be addressed.
2: Right. So, you know, I mean, obviously, over the next look if we're going to aggressively pursue, you know, this climate change policy and renewables, which the West seems entirely intent on doing, then we are going to need a lot more metals. We're going to need a lot more energy. We Don't have it. We don't have we don't even have, we need 20 more lithium mines the size of the largest one in the world to get to our 2050 EV goal, right? We don't even have those. There's nobody, you know, there's nothing like that out there. And so these aggressive goals that we set are gonna require a lot of materials that we don't have. And then not to mention, if we want all of these electric vehicles and whatnot. You know, we have aging grids in Europe and the US. We're going to have to tear those down, really, and start over if we really think that, you know, we're going to be able to handle that amount of EV on the grid. I mean, they're already talking, you know, this summer, we could see rolling blackouts in places. We can't even handle what we have now, which is nothing, right? And so really, our infrastructure needs to be rebuilt from the ground up, requires a lot more energy, a lot more metals, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, if governments are intent on on these goals, I really don't see any way you could not be bullish commodities at this point.
1: Which, by the way, that also, I've been floating that idea out there, too, that there's still another big debt binge coming because of this. Right. And which. Oh, yeah. Right. And let's talk about that, because I think you know if we're going to go with that, that idea, and I do believe that's possible, that would actually I would argue is going to keep rates lower because there's going to be an incentive to have cheap credit to get more extraction of commodities. And you can't really do that if yields are pushing five, six, seven percent.
2: Right. Exact, exactly. Exactly. Agree. That's why I did. You know, I know that everybody, every bank, and their mother is trying to outdo each other on how many rate hikes they think that are going to happen. But you know, I just don't see how that's easily possible. You know, in accordance with any of these goals that that the West has, and or addressing the issues that need to be addressed immediately as far as infrastructure is concerned.
1: Right. Which, which is interesting as as a sort of counter argument that the Fed has to keep on raising rates you can make a an argument in some weird way which sounds this going to sound weird but that actually you should keep rates low so that you can get more infrastructure in place to get more extraction to to make things more within our borders and that if inflation is supply driven then actually you've got to keep <laughs> you have got to keep credit cheap enough to actually cheap, get right. more supply right it's, it's almost
2: counterintuitive right. exactly exactly exactly
1: okay so i always like to try to think about counter arguments so you said it's hard to imagine the scenario or hard to not be bullish on commodities. Um, but there's got to be something, right? Some 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 argument for maybe commodities, at least short, intermediate term, having, at, if not topped out, s- to slowing down, right? And, and maybe it's the recession fear narrative that's out there. But what would make you kind of rethink a lot of your thoughts on supply-demand dynamics? I mean,
2: we'd have to see a global recession or... The whole planet shut down again, or you know, the thing is, like, what? You know, I mean, nobody saw COVID coming. So, right, something like, hopefully, not. We don't have another pandemic, but you know, you I, I, you'd have to have a massive global shutdown. I think at the same time, not have it sort of locally to really to to really change my thesis at this point. Or you know, we see them raise rates to you know twelve percent. which i don't see that happening either but
1: um, that's like a great reset honestly because you can't do that with
2: so much leverage anyway i know so i I, you know that that's all that i can think of at the top of my head right now that would really change my overall overall thesis i mean something dramatically would have to shift you know they decided to forget climate change i mean you know it would have to be something very big at this point in other words
1: yeah that's a fair point.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for the first one, I, you know, I, yeah, I, I absolutely. Regarding that gas, it's obviously going to add to inflationary pressures. So, you know, in addition, we just signed long term contracts with the EU out to 2050. So, you know, that's a lot of supply going out. In fact, we've, you know, we've promised more supply than we can actually at this current point a- actually produce so uh, you know definitely I you know I think that you know instead of having I think the new norm will probably be instead of having you know two dollar NAT gas you know you're you're probably going to see you know you know higher prices for a while, for a long time I hope that answers your question as far as LME is concerned absolutely after the nickel market fiasco I think that was kind of one of the last straws so I think that you know you're seeing other exchanges such as CME, wants to start a nickel contract and is starting some other base metal contracts as well. So we'll have to see if people migrate to that platform. But I think in general, obviously that incident really hurt the LME and the LME credibility. So I think what you're probably going to have is probably gonna see, you know, a few big commercial players there, but I'm not sure if that if that will you know, I'm not sure how long they will be around. Yes, agreed. Especially if we, you know, especially if we, I mean, we'll have to see, you know, like I said, it'll be interesting, but definitely it'll lead to higher prices and more volatility. And we'll have to see, again, if the the CME, you know, if if those contracts take off or not, or, you know, if they might, you know, migrate to other exchanges.
1: All right. So last question for me, Tracy, perhaps is the most important question of the entire space. What kind of cat do you have? Because I, uh, I keep hearing
2: them. Are now. you hearing them in the background? It's okay. Uh, okay. It's a Tonkinese. It's a Tonkinese. It's only eight weeks old, so she's got a lot of energy. <laughs> you
1: know, I, don't, I don't want to take you away too much longer So from from that. So, <laughs> listen, everybody that's been here, again, please make sure you follow Tracy, as you can tell. Very knowledgeable in the space and very kind to spend this morning with us for the hour. Tracy, as always, I appreciate the time, the knowledge you impor- uh, imparted to everybody here. And uh, for those they don't see, you know, it's your loss. So. <laughs> okay, all good. Thank you, everybody. thank you, Tracy. I appreciate it.
3: The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on X, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube, And check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets.